Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 92, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Handsome Joe. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> used to that name now, isn't it? Yeah. How he's you... taken ownership of it. Now. That's how he introduces himself when we're out and about now, you know, if we're in yeah. a bar. And it, Apparently. It, <laughs> now, of course, it is a big show this week because tomorrow is the big one. Play Expo in Manchester is finally here and uh, we're going to be there, Ravi. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. A, a pity Joe can't make it. That would be really good. Well, Joe's been a bit busy recently. Should, should I tell, show you why he's been busy? Oh. <laughs> Where are you in this? Uh, I'm, I'm the screaming guy in the background. Now, this is... Uh, you're a multi-talented guy. Not only is Joe a big video games fan, obviously very talented podcaster, but also in a band as well. Yeah, I'm in a band, uh, 100 Crowns. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> Put me on the spot there. <laughs> what, what are you called again? <laughs> well, this is a clip of your... So this is the debut video. Yes, uh, debut single, which okay. came out uh, Thursday the 5th of October. Okay, so available now? Yeah, available now. iTunes, Spotify, just yeah. little plugs there. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so are you going to... Maybe Joe should do like a new retro hour theme tune. Oh, that, oh, that'd gosh. be good. A proper metal retro hour <laughs> theme tune. God, you've got to do the voice for us now, People, Joe. Oh, I'm not going to... It's too loud. It's Go too on. <laughs> Everyone wants it, don't they? Yeah. All the gains. Come on, do, 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 us, a, do us a retro hour line. No drive. Come on. Shake up, let's go drive! Yes. Rest in peace, headphone fans. There we go. <laughs> it just blew my ears. <laughs> it cool, it, it, it kind of sounded like one of Sega's campaigns. It did, actually. That, that, that could have been in, like, you know, Sonic Adventure or something. It really could have been. And that was just on the spot. Like, that wasn't even, like, a good one. That's a shame you can't make play. You could have done that, couldn't you, before, like, the I could have done. I could have done. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going to be at play. Uh, I'm at yet another stag do. <laughs> every weekend for you. Yeah, I know it is. I feel, this is the year everybody got married. Speaking of weddings, Dan. Are you still getting over my wedding? Yeah. Yes. Oh, gosh. I needed more than two days off of that. No, let's be honest. We are actually recording the show a week in advance, so I haven't got married yet, but at the time the show comes out, I, I will be. You're <laughs> Spoiling the magic. I know. Sound of twat now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I imagine it would have been a good weekend. So mm-hmm. if the show does get released, it means we're all alive. Yeah. <laughs> Someone was around to upload it. Yeah, there we go. Now, you've actually been quite busy, though, working on your uh, SNES Mini. Yeah, got a SNES Mini uh, the other day, day release. Working on, like, you've been working on it. <laughs> working <laughs> on it. Yourself. I've been playing with it. No, you know what? You say you've been working on it, figuring out how to power it up. Yeah. I opened it up and I was like, somebody could have told me it didn't come with an AC adapter. <laughs> like, really? I, I had no idea. What, you have to, how do you power it then? It doesn't come with one. It doesn't come, it just comes with a HDMI cable and then a USB mini cable. USB to USB mini. Yeah. And I was like scratching my head like, am I missing a part? Like, is this meant to come with something? Like, because it came, I bought it from game and it came in a big game box, big cardboard box. And then you take that, open that up and it was all like bubble wrapped. And then the little box, it's tiny. Hmm. And you open the box up and there's no room for anything else. So your controllers are in there and everything. And there's no room for a plug. So I was like scratching my head. And I had to go on the website and like looking online and everything. And eventually I found like, by like the Daily Mail or the Independent or something, like outrageous SNES Mini doesn't come with AC adapter, and I was That's just crazy. like, wow. I was like, oh, I did not know that at all. Like, and then I was like, surely I would have heard that if they'd said that. But uh, Nintendo were selling like an official adapter which can be used for like DSs, the NES Mini, the SNES Mini, etc. Um, but I read that you could just use any old USB adapter. So I've been using my iPod, my iPad charger for. Oh, so it works with any. Yeah, it works with any charger or oh, Yeah, okay. yeah, you can just use any. So it's a bit like, tight of them not to include yeah. that though, isn't it? Yeah, I did think that. I was like, and it's kind of annoying me because I've got a white plug 
with a black SNES wire going into it. So it's kind of annoying me. Going I'm there, just like, oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> you did a really cool photo as well that we posted on the Facebook. Oh, yeah, thank you. And it's actually got all the kind of... What, explain, it's got the original system there. Yeah, so as a retro collector, when the SNES Mini came out, I was like, oh, wow, look at all those fantastic games. And then kind of realised of the 20 games... I actually have 13 of them already, uh, which is actually all the UK releases minus uh, Mega Man X. I don't have Mega Man X. But the only ones I don't have are Star Fox 2 because it never came out and then the the American releases only, Northern American releases only. So yeah, I just thought I'd do a cheeky picture and show it off. It's a cool comparison, isn't it? (laughs) Sizes. And how does it compare to the original then? Is it like virtually indistinguishable? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one thing that kind of annoys me, which is just obviously kind of standard with like kind of retro games on new systems and stuff, is they've still not managed to fill a whole widescreen. Like you still, you know, there's three modes on it. You can do CRT, Mm. which is very nostalgic, but it's still, you know, squashing the screen. Four by three, is it? Yeah, and then you can do, uh, I think it's, what is it, 13 by nine or whatever it is. 16 by nine, 16 by nine, sorry. But it still doesn't fill up the whole TV. And then you can do pixel perfect. And I thought, oh, pixel perfect will stretch it and make it look really nice. But it's not, it's just a really nice, Nice is it, has it got those black borders? It's got is a black it? border. Yeah. But you can change the borders and put like little Zelda things around it and stuff, but I just play it with a black border. But it's an interesting little system. Do you have the CRT emulation on then, the scan lines? Uh, I did. I was playing Contra 3 the yeah. other day, uh, and I did have the CRT on it, and then I started playing Final Fantasy 6, or or Final Fantasy 3, as it's still known on the SNES Mini. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Very interesting for me. Um, I started playing that, and... I got about half an hour into it and I was like, no, pixel perfect. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you can change it mid-game though, but, can you? Yeah, oh, okay. you can change it. Also, very interestingly, is once you start a game, uh, if anybody could tell me in the comments or anything, mm. I can't figure out if you can access any sort of menu, like, you know, for save state or anything like that while you're actually in a game, other than if you reset the actual console, it immediately, with no lag, takes you back to the home screen and then if you press Y on the controller, you can then save state what you last did on that game. Okay. Which is very odd. Yeah, it seems a bit of a backward way of doing it. Yeah, it yeah. seems very odd. I was, I've tried start and select together, you know, L&R and everything. Like, and I've looked online and I can't find anything. But yeah, it's really odd. You can't... The only way to just stop a game and save it is to reset it. And then it asks you if you want to save it afterwards by pressing Y. So Very any, interesting. Anyone can be tech support. Yeah, <laughs> so if anybody joke. can help me out, <laughs> that would be fantastic. But good review, though. Happy with the SNES Mini? Very happy with the SNES Mini. Well, we're just thinking, you know, it won't be long until we record this year's uh, Christmas Let's Play video, will it? <laughs> Two months away now. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah we'll have true. to get that out. Yeah, and we've had some great listeners' photos as well of yeah. the SNES Minis. We've, yeah, we've yeah. kind of put a folder on the Facebook and it's just full of people all proudly displaying them. Mm. Well, speaking of our wonderful listeners, I mean, without them, we couldn't keep doing the Retro Hour podcast every week. We couldn't get to events like Play Manchester that's coming up this weekend. And we want to say a massive thank you if you've made a donation into the running of the Retro Hour podcast this week. We do accept donations. Just think of it as a tip jar. It's completely optional. Everything we get, though, does, of course, go back into the running of the show. And all you've got to do is nip to our website, theretrohour.com. There is a PayPal and a Bitcoin link on there, too. This week, we want to say a massive thank you... Uh, to Roland Cock, Darren Coles, Erland Saxaug, and Adam Hind. Thank you so much for your support, guys. And of course, if you'd like to do the same and find yourself in next week's Hall of Fame, all you've got to do is head to our website, theretrohour.com. Now, we did mention plays coming up this weekend. Obviously, lots going on. We've kind of got the schedule now, so if you are coming along this weekend, I mean, uh, tomorrow, by the time the show comes out, Saturday, um, the 14th of October, obviously, we're going to have the massive GoldenEye panel. 
Oh, oh my God. wow. Golden Gun, yeah. David Work. Doak. It's going to be amazing. Then we've got this amazing thing we were talking about last week, The Dark Room. It's kind of like an interactive like text adventure kind of based on nightmare yeah. kind of game. Uh, Psygnosis panel that we're going to be hosting all about like Wipeout and yeah, yeah, Lemmings, yeah. all those games. And then on the Sunday, John Hare, um, which actually ties quite well into this week's show. We'll be oh, talking yes. more about that soon. Uh, talking about his new game, Sociable Soccer, a bit of history about Sensei. actually Sensi. launching it, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, well, so. we're going to talk more about that in just a bit, but you know, th- this will be a, there'll be chances to play the game yeah. uh, play this weekend. And then, of course, that massive Spectrum Sunday panel coming up, oh, all about God. the uh, memoirs of a Spectrum Addict movie. So, pretty packed weekend, actually. And also, we probably get some time to have a few guys on the arcades and maybe do a bit of shopping as well. Totally, and I just checked out that movie memoirs of a spectrum addict yeah and really good really good like uh it's amazing some of the games because i'm not really that knowledgeable on spectrum but yeah. it's amazing some of the games that they did in there and the creativity with the limited characters and kind of limited text that they had on there it's absolutely insane i recommend it to all the listeners the production quality isn't the highest standard okay. of, that we've had from films but the content's in there. You know, John Romero's in there. Okay. Um, there's some amazing guests and people that I've never heard of before in this film. And hearing from them, it's just like, wow. How long is it then? Great. It's about two hours, you oh, okay. know. Okay, quite in depth. Because yeah. bloody old. They always are, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that's, not, for money. that's not with the specials either. Oh, there's, uh... <laughs> you know when you sit down at night and you're lying in bed and you go, oh, I'll watch, I'll watch one of these nice gaming documentaries yeah. on my iPad and go, Oh, two hours. <laughs> like, oh, right, then I'll watch it. Then yeah. it's four in the morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I usually watch them about four times, you know, just to, to get, get everything out of yeah. I did that with um, Bedroom Civilians, the Amiga years. I remember that came out and I wanted to watch it so badly, but I didn't have like a two-hour window for about three days. And I was like, I watched bit by bit, but then you've forgotten the last bit. Then yeah. uh, you had to watch it all in one go. But So if you do want to check out a bit of that, I mean, they are going to be selling copies of it at play um, this weekend. And there will be a little glimpse of it on stage and also the, the guys behind it and Jim Bagley, of course. You know, oh, yeah. Could have a specky panel well, There's a 45-minute special with Jim Bagley in it as well. So there's loads of stuff. Absolutely. So if you are coming down to play Expo this weekend, um, do drop us a tweet and say hi um, at Retro Hour UK. Hopefully we can meet up, maybe have a couple of, couple of drinks at the bar. Ravi will be buying, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> Have fun, guys. <laughs> now, we did mention about um, John Hare, and this week it kind of ties quite nicely into our guest. Yeah, we've got Stu Cambridge. Now, if you've played any Amiga game, most of them in sensible kind of software's background, they have Stu Cambridge dying as one of the first characters. <laughs> and I have a big connection with Stu because every game I've kind of played, you're like, no, not Stu, straight away. Well, yeah. even, even not just the Amiga, like, you know, Cannon Fodder came out on like everything, didn't it? Snares, yeah, yeah. Mega Drive, so you, Jaguar. Have it on yeah. Mega Drive, Mega CD, you'd see Stu dying. Yeah. And this guy's the artist behind Sensible Software. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of Sensible Soccer, which is that world famous game, he did those little tiny characters from Megalomania and kind of turn them into a gaming thing. They remind me a bit of Lemmings, you know, two pixels or three pixels high. I think as an artist, it is a big job to get personality and character probably into like, what, 16 pixels? Like tiny yeah. little characters. Yeah. So that's, and those games had a very unique look about them as well. Oh, definitely. It was that kind of cartoony fun look. And, you know, Cannon Fodder was a great example of that. Yeah. Stu Cambridge, I'm sure this one's going to be interesting. Any tales we get from, like, you know, the Sensi kind of stable, they're always a... Uh... Oh, yeah, and the, the rivalry with uh, Bitmap Brothers. So, uh, yeah, if you're coming down to play this weekend, nice little warm-up for that. Stu Cambridge is going to be our guest on the Retro Hour podcast in around 15 minutes from now. Now, we mentioned about the SNES Mini. There's now going to be a Commodore 64 Mini what? on the market next year, apparently. 
Where's this come from? And uh, it's the C64 Mini. I know branding on there. <laughs> yeah, uh... Well, this has made all of the mainstream news sites over the last couple of days or uh, well, couple of weeks. GameSpot have covered this. I've seen it in the Metro. It's been all over the place. And they're kind of saying, I think, you know, it's kind of riding on the back of the, the NES Mini and the SNES Mini yeah, and all absolutely. of those systems. Uh, this is a company called Retro Games Limited. And if you look at, I mean, I, I'll link you up in the, the show notes to the article on GameSpot. And the box actually does look very similar to the original Commodore 64 box. And really what it is, it's a, a plug-and-play TV console. It's got HDMI output, two USB ports on there as well, uh, stack of games preloaded on it, stuff like Impossible Mission, uh, California Games is on there too. Uh, it's smaller than the original, and <laughs> from reading the comments, the keyboard doesn't actually work. Oh, really? No, it's just like, you know, a kind of for show, really. Oh, okay, so it. it's just that cheap-looking controller. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a recreation of the um, Competition Pro, isn't it? The, yeah. the joystick looking at it. But you can actually plug a keyboard in um, okay. via USB. Yeah. And use a, you know, it's okay, keyboard. that's quite interesting. So it's been getting a lot of attention, and the reason, so I saw this, and I thought, actually, this looks really familiar. Did a bit of digging, um, and I found this thread on Reddit here. It actually turns out this was an Indiegogo campaign two years ago. Really? Okay. Yeah, and it never got delivered. Okay. So, so has somebody picked this up now? I think it's the same guys behind it. Apparently, they keep promising this, this is going to be released many times over and over, and it keeps getting pushed back and pushed yeah, back for yeah. two years now. But now they're saying it's going to be out early 2018. They haven't given you know, an actual deadline yeah. yet. And then looking a bit more um, into it, apparently they originally promised like a handheld Commodore 64. I think we did speak about one of our very early shows. And... They're not going to be delivering that now. Apparently, this is like the new product they're going to be releasing. Which, right. You know, campaigns can change over time. And I guess with the hype that all these mini consoles have been getting, maybe they yeah, think this is going to yeah. be more of a success. But I don't know. It does seem a bit like people donated to it like two years ago and still haven't been delivered. It's, it's, it's strange because I think this thing could be completely wrapped up in legal hoo-ha because the owners of the Commodore, there's been battles about that for years and also the owners of Games Rights. I was so. literally just thinking of that. So, obviously with, with the Nintendo Mini, mm. like, it's an official Nintendo product. Nintendo's still Mini. around, yeah. You know, they're still around, SNES Mini, official products. Um, obviously, we've got quite a few like Konami and Capcom games on there, but I'm sure they're paying some sort of royalty or just some sort of disclosure there where they own the rights to that game. But, as Ravi says, literally, as you've just been kind of going on about that the whole time there, Dan, I've just literally been thinking to myself, like, is this officially endorsed by Commodore? Like, can it, can that even be possible? Like, uh, really, really interesting, really. I mean, like, those 64 games as well. Like, has yeah. anybody spoken to these people, yeah, the creators, who owns the rights to these games? I'm looking at the list here, and they've got, like, Ocean Games, Team 17. Yeah. They've got, like, you know, Sensible Software, Bitmap Brothers. They've got some big names in here, a company. Yeah. So, and a lot of these games haven't been remade, or they haven't been re-released. So I think they're probably wrapped up in legal hoo-ha. Well, I mean, it's the, the fact that a lot of the mainstream sites have been talking about it obviously means they've, they've obviously come up with like some marketing yeah. campaign. Yeah, yeah it's, some sort, it's an official product, like it's, you know, for people to be going on about it. Mm. But like you say, is it officially endorsed by these people? Because someone does own the Commodore name and trademarks, but even well, then, well, they're, even they're if a big you mess. look at it, it doesn't say C64 singly on the box, it's got the rammed straight up to the edge of the yeah, C64. absolutely. And it hasn't got and C64 by actually, itself. Actually, you know what it hasn't got? It hasn't got the Commodore chicken head logo? No, no. Yeah, so. and uh, Ravi pointed it out straight away when you said 
Commodore 64 Mini. He was like, it doesn't say it's a Commodore, it says it's a C64. Yeah, the C64 Mini. Yeah, because Commodore's now owned by um, a company in Germany. Okay. Called, yeah. Um, Commodore Holdings or something. Yeah. 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 But that's, that's the thing. I mean, their trademarks are obviously, like a lot of these old companies, have gone through about 10 different companies and there's still disputes over who actually owns it. But looking at this, I mean, maybe, you know, if it was officially licensed, you think it would have the proper logos mm, on and have the name mm. and all that. So it is, but, I will admit, it does look a bit weird. But then it could be a really good thing if it's, you know, cheap, if it works well, and if it's kind of got all these titles, it could be great and people could mod it and stuff. Well, but, uh, you say if it's cheap, they're saying it's going to be £70. Mm. So. Which is about the price you get an original C64 for on eBay. So. Is it? How much yeah. was the NES Mini? 80 yeah. <laughs> so, but now they're you know, Yeah, but now they're 150 everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, it's been pending for two years now. There are some people in the comments that are like saying it's not, uh, you know, never going to get released. It's just yeah. all fake. Um, I haven't seen any videos of the hardware running yet, so let's wait and see, I guess. But yeah, that's could it. Be interesting. I think it's going to be a wait and see one. This one, I think that would be cool to have something like that. Oh, and totally, I'd love it. Yeah. A lot of those systems it could be made into the kind of like plug and play TV joysticks and stuff. So, but the idea of not having the keyboard working makes me feel cheap. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of C64 games needed it. Yeah, yeah. And we, so. We've talked before about that Commodore 64 console that came out with no keyboard, <laughs> yeah, and the so amount of games you get caught short in. Yeah, you, you get like <laughs> after two levels, it'd be like press F1 to continue, yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh, well, there isn't one. <laughs> you know what? Like similar sort of story, but I actually went to Sicily last year uh, with my family to see my auntie, and I took the DS out with me. Uh, you know, an old DSi, like it was battered, and the L and R buttons are like jammed in right. and I was playing Chrono Trigger and I got about halfway through it and bearing in mind the whole way through the game you've only needed the four you know the ABC uh, sorry ABX and Y and I get to a certain point and it was like you had to do a puzzle and you had to use L and R and that was it I couldn't carry on I was like oh, for God's sake <laughs> so I yeah. know the struggle there I know the struggle but you've wasted all that time as well so I know frustrated, isn't oh it? So, gosh yeah. that, that is something that, well, definitely the USB keyboard if you're going to get one I think yeah. which kind of loses its portability I guess as well doesn't it but still we'll look out for that now um, cartridges are obviously something else that's had a bit of a comeback recently we talked about it on the show the other week that obviously there was yeah Capcom made that Street Fighter 2 they called it the 30th anniversary edition the first thing Joe said is which I said on the show with you the week when you weren't on it was like um, it's 30 years into the original yeah I was going to say Street Fighter 2's 92 91 92 um, and then the original one's 87 yeah this is bizarre they're like oh the 30th anniversary of Street Fighter (laughs) yeah but we're going to release Street Fighter 2 because no one wants Street Fighter 1 getting re-released have you ever played that Yes, I have yeah. played it. I've played it on a, you know, like Capcom best of, like, you know, best of psh, Street Fighter <laughs> <laughs> on PS2 and stuff. But uh, interesting, talking of like official endorsements and stuff. So we've got this 30th anniversary cartridge coming out. Is this officially endorsed by Capcom? This one, well, this is Capcom have released it. Have Capcom actually released yeah, this? they yeah. released this. It's limited ah, edition. Um, which is yeah, crazy. 5,500 of them. We talked about this on the show the other week. There's one yeah. in like red. It's meant to be at Ryu's like yeah, event. Yeah. And there's like a blanket kind of glowing. Glow in the dark. Yeah, glowing yeah. dark one oh, as well. Really? So they are cool, but they, they came with a warning, which this story kind of goes into now. Us Technica have done an article here. Now, they're kind of saying we're at an age now where, you know, gamers that were around in the, like, 8 and 16-bit era and now have an age where they want something that's kind of nostalgic and like yeah. maybe, you know, CDs or tapes were to a certain generation of music fans. Mm-hmm. There's something very tangible about a cartridge and we idolise them when we were kids. You know, it says they're bulky, beautiful things that we worshipped. And there was an emotional moment to get a new cartridge 
when you first open that box and Absolutely. put it in the machine, you know. Absolutely. Can't yeah. be replicated with like ROMs and that kind of thing. Yeah. And they're saying that, you know, because gamers have actually been really into getting this uh, Street Fighter 2 cartridge. And there was another one that was done a couple of years ago they're talking about as well. There was a DuckTales uh, remaster that came out in yeah, 2013. Yeah, when they did the re-release on Xbox 360, etc. They did the gold cartridge, didn't they? Yeah, 150 of them. Uh, came in a lunchbox. I can't remember how much that one was, but it's interesting because of the Street Fighter one, the Street Fighter 2 one, it's $5,500, $100 each, and it's sold out, hasn't it? Yeah. So... Like you say, you know, if Capcom are being like, wow, well, well, we can make this kind of money from this, is anybody else going to jump on this bandwagon? But again, it's like, it's a premium package for collectors, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, well, they're saying, though, that maybe more companies are going to do this because, you mean, obviously, they're making money off it. Mm. But again, it, they're not releasing them as something that you're going to play every weekend. The interesting thing about it is, with these new cartridges, and we talked about this on the show previously, but it says, um, uh, apparently, back in the day, they used to use um, 16 megabit 5-volt memory chips inside yeah. the original um, SNES cartridges. Yeah, yeah. Today, they're not readily available on the market, so they have to use um, 3 volts or less. Yeah. So they had to put a warning on the side of the box saying, this will work on your SNES, but it might set it on fire. Well, a listener, really? yeah. a listener actually contacted me yeah. and explained the full technical reasons behind that. Over to you, Ravi, explain them. Completely, <laughs> completely over my head. Yeah. I was just like, you know, it's all about... Oh, you. I thought we were going to get some proper technical explanation there from <laughs> Ravi. Know, for the next half an hour. Ravi's there like, yes, aha, the free votes. I had a listener, contact me. And it went completely over my head. Was, got, oh, a good one, mate, brilliant. <laughs> I was waiting for diagrams and everything. Well, we, we never... Well, I I don't know about Dan may have had cartridges, but I, d- I never had them. The closest thing I got to a cartridge was a memory card. I don't know if that's sad, but I went from floppy disks mm. to zip disks and then to CD-ROMs. Did, are, you, are you asking me if I had cartridges? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Dan, Dan, I know you're the cartridge king. I was going to say, like, <laughs> come on, house is made of cartridges. My, my house is cartridges. <laughs> yeah. now, I mean, I, again, I, I'm probably saying with Yoshi, but I never had a cartridge-based system myself, but, I mean, my brother had, like, uh, you know, Mega Drive and stuff. So they always seemed cool, and oh. they always seemed like something that would never get wrecked by kids. That was a great Oh, country. no, you could wreck them. Oh. <laughs> the voice of experience. Right? Yes, yes, you could wreck them. <laughs> but again, I mean, yeah, floppy disks were so delicate. It's yeah. like you just look at them the wrong way and they're corrupt. But oh, yeah, absolutely. A cartridge, you blow in it, give it a little wipe, it's normally all right, isn't it? Unless you throw it off like you. <laughs> Leaving the Street Fighter 2 out the window probably doesn't help. You say that, I once remember... Uh... Bart versus the Space Mutants for the Sega Mega Drive. Yeah. Pulled it out of the Sega Mega Drive without switching the Mega Drive off, thinking like, you know, this would destroy the cartridges or anything, it would affect the Mega Drive, but obviously, you know, those things are... Did, did like you want to break house. it? No, 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 I did it by right. accident. I must have been about five years old and I panicked so much I hid it under the wardrobe until we moved house three years later. <laughs> not still there now, is it? No, no it's not still there now. I was so terrified I'd broken it. So why did you pull it out then? Was it just... I don't know. I was just in my haste to change games. Like, okay. you know, and I just pulled it out and I was like... <gasps> like kind of thing. And I was just like, I can't tell anyone. That, that made me think of something then. I was thinking of moments that you've raged and broke, broke something. Well, I, I... No. Borrowed my mate's copy of Jet Strike, and this was for the, the um, oh, it was a PlayStation, a yeah. really early PlayStation One titles, and it was one in one of those original cases. Ended up dropping it by accident, looking at it, dropping it down some stairs, 
smash the whole case. And I, and I put the case back together with glue and kind of handed it back to my mate, like, here's a copy of Desert Strike. And he's just like, what is this? Well, interestingly, you should say that, talking of lending games to friends and stuff. Uh, I think it was like Christmas 96 or something. And I got Space Jam, you know, the yeah, Michael yeah, Jordan yeah. film. But I got the PlayStation 1 game, fantastic, brilliant. And I lent it to a friend a few, few weeks later and... This friend always had a really messy bedroom, ridiculously messy bedroom that he shared with his younger brother. And when they returned Space Jam back to me, ironically, it was covered in jam. <laughs> <laughs> the, like the disc, like in the box, not the box, the disc, like when you took it out, had jam all over it. And I just remember thinking, like, if they had some sort of argument or some sort of like, oh, look at this, like. Did you ever find out? No, I never found out. No. Does that haunt you to this day? It's just always stuck with yeah. me. Why jam? Sounds like know. one of those uh, removal techniques, like get scratches out by covering your CD with jam. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've used a toothpaste trick, never the jam trick. Yeah, yeah. I recommend it, <laughs> them seeds. You know, you know what it reminds me of? Like, you remember when CDs, you'd see like early demos of them, they're all like, they're on YouTube, there's loads of them now, when CDs first got released, it's like, um, they will never break, they're indestructible. And the show people pouring like tins of baked beans on them. Yeah, like, scratching scratch nails yeah, yeah, yeah. on them. Yeah, that was scratching nails yeah. and screws. Same know. friend also destroyed Resident Evil too. Uh, never lent him another game. <laughs> is he still your friend? Uh, I still know him. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> now we did talk of course about this weekend. John Hare is going to be on stage with us at Play Expo in Manchester this coming Sunday and we've been keeping an eye on the progress of uh, Sociable Soccer. His new game for, well, when did we have John on the show? Is it like episode two or three? It was really early on, wasn't it? And he was talking about it then and how it was kind of developing. Now yeah. it's reached a stage that it's actually going on to Steam Early Access. Yeah. And we're talking about a modern game here, which is like, ah, it's a retro podcast. Why are you talking about that? But uh, Sensible Soccer was one of the world's biggest football games. Yeah, and, before FIFA and that. Yeah. yeah, and it's still been updated. And this was a legendary kind of brand. And now that it's coming back, I think it's going to get a lot of interest. And it's 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 doing different stuff. It personally attacks FIFA on one of the f- first screens. It's got VR, which is kind of crazy. And it's got, it's, it's got that sensey kind of attitude then, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've played it, and the yeah. gameplay is as smooth as sensey. It's just you've got nicer guys on it. Uh, they're not four pixels high. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit more quality. So. Well, you know, it is available now for a Steam Early Access. Uh, just came out on Wednesday, I think. Yeah. So if you want to play it, then, you know, it is available. Obviously, it's, it's an Early Access version of it, so there might still be some changes before it's finalised. Uh, but you can actually take a peek at it now. Now, we, we've obviously, we played it, was it last year, Play Expo Manchester? Yeah. And one great feature about it was always the management in the football game. So, you know, keeping your teams up to date, keeping the latest rosters. Like, even now, people update the old version of Sensible Soccer to have all the modern players in it. Now, this new one works on a way that they've got seasons and everyone's at a tournament and everyone makes a team. So you're actually competing with all the other players in the world to get your team to number one, which I think is quite cool. You're not just stuck in your standard teams or what they've defined happening that season. You're making the kind of season well for me you know i'm not a football fan in the slightest we talked about that in the show before you know fifa i play i i lose track of where i am on the screen now <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah i'm I'm, like, I'm, I'm not good at sports games i'm well, not good at football but <laughs> sensible soccer is probably one of the very few games kick off to a bit as well I, yeah. could, I could actually play it and we had to go at this last year and i was like actually 
I can kind of get into this. You know, yeah, it's just yeah, a fun game. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems really fun. And also, I think there's a lot of potential here because Sensible Soccer was one of the most hacked games ever. They had Sensible Soccer on the moon where you kicked it and the ball went for miles. <laughs> they had, they had uh, Sensible uh, Fodder Soccer or Cannon oh, Soccer. Oh, Cannon Soccer. Yeah. yeah where it was bombs as uh, football so you know the, the modding ability of this I think you're going to have some mad game modes and, and it's cool you can play it online and stuff now people all around the yeah. world because I know they actually still do like SWAS you know Sensible World of Soccer they do like tournaments like they have weekends to hire a hotel in like Poland and oh, stuff oh yeah they, they do Germany. still for kickoff yeah you mentioned yeah. that before yeah so yeah, I mean, obviously, I think there's going to be a lot of people interested in playing this. So now you can finally get your hands on it. You know, in terms of retro kind of inspired games that have been hyped, this is definitely up there. So, you know, I think from what we've seen, it's going to live up to the expectations. So yeah, definitely, and I think he would call it sensible if he could get the rights. Yeah, yeah. well, well, we're going to be interviewing him on Sunday, so we'll know that have the, an yeah. updated John John Hare interview on the show in coming weeks if we get the recording stuff working this time. Definitely, yeah. I was going to say third time lucky, probably about twelfth time lucky. <laughs> we never never managed to record stuff properly at events. So if you are coming down to play expo this weekend uh, we'll see you there uh, we'll be hanging out all weekend so uh, if you're going to be around obviously drop us a tweet at Retro Hour UK we'll come say hi and uh, look out for the panels as well they're going to be really good and uh, hopefully we're not too tired on next week's show no and also look out for some bargains because I don't know if we're going to have time for shopping are we? Ravi we're getting in there early doors okay yeah, yeah. Got... first dibs you yeah, say you... that it never happens you usually send you guys go do a panel and I go around and I spot the good stuff and then I come back and I go damn found this Let's go buy it. Well, actually, <laughs> because this year, Ravi's actually getting there a little bit early because he's uh, staying with a lady. <laughs> oh! <laughs> so uh, I expect you there at, like, you know, no, no sleep, obviously, night before, Ravi. So you, you'll be there early doors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be outside the Trafford Centre. Yeah. Yeah. 6am, let me in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you there if you are coming down this weekend. Thank you for checking out episode number 92 of the Retro Hour podcast. We'll be out again next Friday, available from all of your favourite podcast clients and on our website, theretrohour.com. Right then, speaking of Sensi, this week, special guest is the legendary Stu Cambridge and we'll see you next week ciao see ya more never been so much fun 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 go to your brother kill him with your gun maybe lying in his uniform dying in the sun you're listening to the Retro Hour podcast and let's say hello to this week's special guest Stu Cambridge Hello Dan Nice to meet you Virtually <laughs> I've, I've played so many games Where I've killed you Stu <laughs> oh, <laughs> Do you know what I, I, I hear that so many times And I think Can't you just let me Survive a few missions you know? That's it That's <laughs> always the aim To keep Stu alive But you know <laughs> Hey they, they could be a follow up Keep Stu alive <laughs> the, the, the lost missions <laughs> <laughs> Well Stu We appreciate you joining us On the podcast this week no and Taking time out I mean this is something We always like to ask I guess to start our interview with what was your first ever computer experience then where did it all start for you going back into the 80s <laughs> um, a computer class in school um, you, do you remember, I mean when all the old computers were coming out we had like you know the, the VIC-20 the ZX-80 ZX-81 and everyone was really getting into the whole computer thing and um, like many kids of my age you know at the time I was, I was fascinated by them and um, I remember seeing the ads in, in sort of WH Smith in the magazines and we used to go to Boots and all those sort of places and they'd stock all these, all these computers. And just really from there, you know, I just got interested in them and um, sort of saw that there was a few in, 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 in school and, uh, you know, used to poke me, poke me nose around the, around the door and, you know, when the teachers were playing on, on the computer during lunchtime and uh, just got into it like that, really. 
Well, when you ended up getting a computer at home, uh, what was it? Vic 20. I had a Vic 20. Uh, I originally wanted a 64, but my dad said, look, you know, that's a lot of money. Why don't you go for this one? And then if you, you know, if you really get into it and, and it becomes something that you want to, you know, carry on with, then uh, we'll look at getting you a, you know, a, a better machine later. So I got a VIC-20 with its 5K RAM. Um, I think I got, I had the, oh, I had, had some educational stuff with it, as you used to get back then, because your mum and dad thinks that you're going to be using it for maths and English when all you want to do is play games on it. Uh, and I got abductor, just meant as abductor, and laser zone. Didn't realise at the time that laser, laser zone needed an 8K RAM expansion. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> I know, so I was like, I remember getting it and thinking, oh, Abductor is brilliant, love the sound on Abductor, it's fantastic, like these real arcade quality sounds, and then thinking, oh, hang on a minute, I can't play the other one, so I just kind of like, sort of persuade my mum and dad to buy me a RAM expansion as well, which uh, I don't recall going down too, too, too well at the time, because I think they'd, they'd spent quite a few you could on it, you know, getting this machine. I think the RAM pack was about as much as a computer, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was crazy money back then. When I mean, 16K RAM pack, yeah. it was like crazy money. But also, I had a TV as well for my bedroom. Because obviously, you have a computer, you need something to, to, to plug it into. Uh, and they, they wasn't too keen on me putting it on in the living room, so they got me a TV for the bedroom as well. So it was quite a good Christmas that year. <laughs> yeah, you must have had it all. And a whole 16K oh, yeah. RAM for just one oh, game. Spot <laughs> you know? for choice, spot for choice. <laughs> Well, as a kid, were you into kind of art and, you know, creative design stuff? Yeah, I, um, I was, I'll tell you what I was really into. I was really into um, synths and the electronic music. I was really into genre and, and all that sort of stuff. But I was also, was also into the the whole sort of look, you know, like the neon and all the, all the, the bright past, you know, the pastel colours and that sort of stuff. But with art, I actually failed my own level in art because um, I took too bloody long. So... <laughs> So, so I didn't get any qualifications in art at all. What what kind of led you to wanting to be a radio technician then after doing now, the you've art? Done your, you've done your research, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, had a, I was into electronics and synths and that sort of stuff. And I always used to listen to radio in bed. You know, I used to listen to LBC and I think I had, what was called back then, BBC London. But it wasn't BBC London, it was Radio London, I think, back then. And I used to listen to a lot of that sort of stuff. And I was always fascinated by the electronics that went behind it. And um, I lived in Ilford, and they had this careers um, sort of evening or afternoon in the Ilford Town Hall. And the BBC were there. And I went along and we knew my parents, and we saw this, this information about being radio engineers and that sort of stuff. And that really, really sort of got my interest. But then I kind of got into doing computers, and I thought, oh, this is pretty good. I'd love to love to be able to do this as well. And I kind of branched off onto doing computers and starting to learn to program, and kind of lost the uh, the direction in going to radio engineers and engineering and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I sometimes think maybe, you know, maybe it'd be nice to get into that a little bit. At least I've had a bit more knowledge about that sort of stuff. And then who knows? You know, maybe I wouldn't have gone, gone into computers. Well, what was kind of your first break in computers then when you started earning like money off it and got a job? Um, a friend of mine, he he um, he wrote a game on the 64 and I used to sort of, you know, go around his house and we'd sort of, you know, he'd show me all the sort of stuff he used to code and all the assembly language and all that sort of stuff. And um, I was I was working for the railway. Uh, I used to be a, um, uh, te- like a signal technician on the railways. Um, really junior ride. I was only, was only young. I was only like sort of, sort of teens. And I uh, went around his house one lunchtime, 
and um, he uh, he said, "Oh, one of the companies I've, I've, I know, I've, I've just got you know a friend of mine who's got a publishing deal with this company, and they're looking for ice." And bear in mind, this time I'd actually had the Amiga. I mean, before actually, I, I fast forward actually because I actually got a, a publishing deal with um, Powerhouse for a game called Battle Ball, yeah. which was a shoot 'em up construction hit game, but it never got published. So it kind of never really sort of achieved the status that I wanted to have a, a game that I'd done and on the shelves, you know. So that that kind of thing sort of uh, was a bit of a bummer, really, because I, I got paid for it and the money I got for that used to buy an Amiga. So I started doing some graphics on the Amiga, and uh, they say, hey, the blues makes it to me, oh, he's a publisher, I'm, I'm, you know, my friend's working for us, and they're looking for artists. So he gave me the details, and I sent a disc off, and that was it, really. I, I'd uh, got offered some, some work, and the first game I did for them was a game called Renaissance One, uh, which is a company called Impressions. And I did, it was a four-pack of arcade classics, and it was Space Invader, Centipede, Asteroids, and Galaxians. And that's the first thing I did, and they had, like, a classic version, which was pretty much like the original, and had the contemporary version, which was basically a free reign for me to do whatever graphics I wanted that, that sort of fitted in with, that, with the genre. Well, what was it like the first time you saw an Amiga? Uh, mega excitement. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, wasn't it? I mean, I mean, it was just an amazing machine, basically. I mean, I don't know. It, you, you looked at what was around at the time, and everything was so... Um, I was going to say digital, but it's very clear. You know, you had like very limited palettes. The resolutions were pretty rubbish, and and also this machine came along, and you could see, you know, lots of colours, windows moving about the screen, whole screens going up and down, and 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 and, and synth soundtracks that you, you think, well, that's coming out of a machine that you can buy for your home. How is that possible? You know, it was uh, so for me seeing an Amiga for the first time was just crazy. And what kind of programs were you using for your work on on the Amiga then? Um, I used initially I used D Paint, mm. and then I was, later on when I was working at Sensible, I discovered a program called Brilliance. Uh, I think it went to Brilliance Two, which is the version I was using, and um, that that effectively was D Paint, but it was a little bit quicker. And when you're doing sort of graphics day in, day out, even a slight slowdown in speed of the program you're using will make a, a big difference to your, to your workflow. So I, I switched to using that. And I think I used that for most of the art on Sensible Golf. And I think I finished Cannon Fodder on that. I'm, yeah, I think I, did cannon, I finished Cannon Fodder on Brilliance. And I think I did Sensible Golf using that as well. Well, how did you create the images? I mean, were you like, did you plot it out in graph paper first, or was it straight on the screen, or how did you do it? Yeah, write it um, in dust. Some people did. <laughs> you know. I, well, it's funny because on the sixty-four, you just had to do it on graph paper initially until you had editors. But with the Amiga, I just used to draw direct to the screen. I mean, sometimes I would, I would sort of, you know, do a little scribble on a on a notepad just to get an idea of sort of rough things I wanted to do. But generally speaking, most of the time you just uh, just scan it, you know, just doodle on the screen and get your palette set up and, and just draw directly. Uh, it was the easiest way. How did you get your kind of reputation and your artwork out into the industry? Uh, ooh, uh, uh, reputa- <laughs> reputation. Um, I think, I mean, I got my I got my work at Sensible, I think, because I'd, I'd created stuff that looks arcadey. I'd always been a fan of the arcade style, you know, like the, the stuff that Konami were doing and Capcom were doing. Uh, games like Side Side Arms was it the sideways scrolling one, um, you know uh, games like that R type where they had these really detailed graphics, 
And I always was really heavily inspired by that sort of that sort of look. So I kind of adapted that for me, and I just kind of drew my art using that as a, as kind of an influence. Uh, and I suppose that showed when I sent my sent my disc off to uh, to John and Chris at Sensible, and then next thing I know, I'm, I'm getting a getting an interview, and I got the job. Um, and then I just used that as a foundation for all the work I did on Cannon Fodder, and then subsequently anything I've done since. What was the atmosphere like at Sensible when you first started working with John and the team there? Uh, it was like a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was everything you can imagine and more. Um, the work was hard. You know, we worked very, very long hours, often all the way through the night. But for for a young sort of uh, you know Essex boy sort of who's, who's into computers, it was just a dream job. You know, you you could sit there. And you're drawing graphics, you're working with programmers who weren't afraid to try things out. You didn't even think about it as a job. It was it was just like, hey, we, we, we're getting paid to do this. This is amazing. Um, and, 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 and the rewards were there because you could see the work you were doing would all of a sudden appear in the game and it'd be like instant feedback. And before I'd, I'd, I'd joined Sensible... I was used to sending discs off to the programmers who would often be, you know, miles and miles and miles away. And then you'd wait like a day for it to get through the post and then they'd phone you up and say, yeah, I've got the disc and, um, yeah, that's all right, but could you do a change? And you think, oh, okay. So working in an environment, not only with your, with your, a couple of your heroes, because I was a mega fan of Sensible on 64, mm. but also having that immediate feedback and, and realising that you're involved in that process. You know, so going from a fan to being somebody who works works with them is just like mind blowing at the time. What was the first game you were working on there? Then was it Megalomania your first one? Uh, the first game I worked on was actually Cannonfodder, but I did I did do an all nighter. If you want to call it a game, it was Sim Sim Brick, was, mm. which is that kind of uh, I remember of, Sim, Sim Brick. Brick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Sim Man. Yeah, so do you remember that? It was, yeah, and that's the first thing I did uh, at Sensible, and I, I, you know, trying to impress, I, you know, I. I mean, John saying to me, oh, we've got this idea for, like, cover this thing. I said, okay. And he said, right, okay, we've got this idea. I'm like, I'll do it. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll do it, and I'll, I'll stay all night and do it. <laughs> and I actually did a work through doing the graphics for that just to impress. <laughs> it was just crazy, really. But but uh, but that's that's what it was like. You know, it was like, you know, so that was the first thing I did for Sensible was, was, was the Simbrick stuff. Well, um, Megalomania was a big title and kind of, the little guys in the cartoonish style was amazing, and that developed into Sensible Soccer. How did that all kind of work? Uh, well, I joined. I joined Sensible as Megalomania was just being finished, and, and John John had done all the graphics for for Megalomania. Um, and I remember being sent discs. Chris Chris Chapman, who wrote Megalomania, would send me discs of an Amiga fifteen hundred, which was that rebadged Amiga two thousand with some strange memory configuration. And I remember thinking, this is this is something special. Um, but the, the the movement from the the from that to to the look, I suppose the look of sensible was just a natural progression because of getting as much information on screen as possible. Um, you know, I mean, if you're going to look at a game where you, where you need to see a large area of the playfield, you're not going to be able to do that with with chunky big with, with graphics. You need to scale them down so you can see a much wider area. So I suppose really that was the, the roots of that whole look. I don't I don't think it was like, hey, let's create a look that we can be known for. I think it was just it just had to happen that way because that's the way the game was designed to get the most information on screen. And even like with Megalomania, I remember like my jaw dropped when I heard that sample speech in there. That was <laughs> that was groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it was. I, I, I mean, I remember hearing it, and it, it was it was like, how have they got all this in there? On a <laughs> and then working, working up there, it was great. Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, like, Sensi Soccer was such a massive title. I remember every kid at school playing that. I mean, mm. did you guys, like, play it much in the office on breaks and stuff? Well, can I tell you something? I'm the only one in Sensible who, who's not into football, <laughs> believe it or not. So everybody was really into their football. And I did play. I mean, I, I, I do enjoy the game. I do enjoy playing it because it's a great video game. You know, even if you're not into football like I, I'm not, it's a great video game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was played a hell of a lot. I mean, seriously, a hell of a lot. Um, I mean, I was working on cannon fodder when Sensi Soccer was being developed. And it was like every day, it'd be like people would be playing it every day. And, and bearing in mind, when I started, Cannon Fodder was just literally a, a, just a, an idea. So we didn't have a lot of the stuff running on the screen that you had in, in about a year, you know, sort of six months later, you could actually play the game. So there's a lot of time where I was just drawing and designing the graphics. And, and Chris was writing Sensi Soccer. And it'd be continuous, you know, people be talking about it and playing it. So, yeah, I mean, it, was, it had a hell of a lot of playtesting. But then made... it's a great game, you know, and I think it's testament to the fact it was played a lot, that it turned out to be such a great game and still known, you know, and remembered today. Well, I think you made a good point as well, because I'm not into football either. And we, we've talked about this on the show, that, you know, mm. if I pick up, like, you know, a copy of FIFA, I get lost, I don't know what the heck's going on. But with Sensible Soccer, I could sit down and play it with my mates and just pick it up quite easily. Yeah, I agree totally. I mean, I... I, I my son, um, he's got uh, he's got a couple of the FIFA games, and uh, I hate them, mm. you know. But I can play Sensi Soccer, you know. I can I can put that on, and I will enjoy playing Sensi Soccer because it's it's a great arcade game, it's a great arcade style game, and it's brilliant fun when you have got a group of you, and and you can just take in turns and actually have a proper match, you know. And I really am really am not into football at all, <laughs> you know. It bores me senseless, you know. When people talk about football. Um, I, I can't. My brain just switches off. Um, but but with Sensi Soccer, you can sit, and, you know, load it up, play it, and it's great. I, th- I think it's testament fun. testament to the game that there are still people who do tournaments all around the world, like to this day, like Sensi yeah. Soccer and stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I had um, oh, when was it? A while ago, someone emailed me about they were doing some tournament. I was like, I was blown away that people are still playing it. That's, that's crazy. They're <laughs> still, still updated. Yeah, the updated brilliant. Still. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that as well. I mean, all the new teams are in there, and you think, wow. You know, there's editors for all the, all the team data. Amazing, absolutely amazing. So, yeah, it's, it's great. That I, I mean, I wasn't, see, I wasn't involved with the original Century Soccer. I was only, I, I, the only thing I did on the original Century Soccer is I did the logo. <laughs> I did the loading logo, and I think I, think I did a little bit of the crowd stuff. I did, I did a lot more work on SWAS. But to be involved, or be, be you know, as part of that, you know, it's something I'm really proud of. You know, even just even though I was associated with just a few little bits and pieces, like the fact I was in the office when I was developing it, it's just yeah, cool. Well, as you mentioned with Cannon Fodder, which is just one of our absolute favourite titles, you know, <laughs> you kind of changed the style and got a bit war-based, but kept that a uh, good, fun, cartoony, sensible feel. Again, I mean, when when it when it started out, um, it was like you know, lemmings with guns. <laughs> You know, um, it, it kind of, I mean, the original graphics I started drawing were really rubbish. I mean, it, I started off doing some some kind of sort of moorlands kind of landscape. just wasn't working. And all of a sudden, you kind of get that little click, and, and then the fun element creeps in, and you get the little men, 
you know, drawn, little soldiers drawn. And the funny thing is that the, the soldiers in Colourful are not the same graphics as Sensi Soccer, because, like, John John done the graphics for that, and I did the graphics for Cannonball. Um, it's just that we wanted small sprites. And a certain, and it's really weird, because I remember doing I remember doing the sprites for it, and John said to me, oh, can you do, like, a, a screen with lots of different colour combinations for the uniforms? And I said, yeah, yeah no problem. And bear in mind, you only had, like, 16 colours on your mix to do, to do um, the whole you know, in-game graphics. I mean, you could do 32 color mode, but, you you know, it would slow it down slightly and, you, you know, so we, we kept the 16 color. And uh, I did this screen with all these little soldiers. I'll have to send it to you because I've got it somewhere. And uh, what happens is you get these little sprites and they're only, I think, only about like 11 pixels high something. And they start to sort of become alive. And it sounds really weird, but they take on this little character and you think, oh, there's a little, there's, there's something there. And then when you, even in D-Paint, just moving them around the screen as a brush, uh, or creating an anim brush, once they animate them and they're walking, just walking them down the screen in, in D-Paint, you think, oh, this is really cool. And then you start getting ideas for, like, where would they, where would they walk? What would the environment be like? You know, what would they do when they get shot? What would they do when they get blown up? And, you know, but in the style of, of, of that sort of character. And... Um, it's a very, very strange process because if someone said to me, oh, yeah, you'll be drawing, like, these little sprites that are, like, you know, 11 pixels and they're going to be really kind of sort of have character in them and people will identify you with those, I'd say, well, that's, I don't understand because there's not enough pixels there to, to create anything. But, yeah, it's, it's a very, uh, very strange. These little pixels take on a life on their own once they start moving about and then the whole game kind of starts to evolve. The graphical look starts to evolve around it and before you know it, you've got a look for a game. I think it's testament to the wonderful programming in that game and your your incredible graphics as well. That the fact that you know you, you do care about these characters as well. When you see one of your little guys on his back and you know he's bleeding and he's crying, it's like it breaks your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, I mean, when Jules did a brilliant job on the coding, I mean, uh, I mean, bear, bear in mind we'd never we'd only just we got the job at the same time, mm. um, and I'd never never met Jules before, and and you know he'd never met met me, and we shared a flat for the I think we shared a flat for, the, for a year. And um, it was great because, like, he was always open to, to, to comment about programming and ideas. And, and but he was a great code on it. I mean, he did some amazing tricks. I mean, the one thing I, I think that is real testament is the way that the collision system works on the landscape. You know, where the little soldiers can walk along and there's, like, might be a little hole in the, in, in, in the grass, like a little ditch, and they'll, they'll just duck down. You know, it's only, like, three or four pixels, and they'll duck down. And when they're going along the beach... And you see them getting deeper and deeper in the water, and all of a sudden they start to swim, you know. And when they come back out, they get they get slightly, they go up and up and up, and then out of the water. Little tricks, little things like that, which you know, I mean, it used to blow, blow it blew me away when he started putting that stuff in. And when you see a guy floating down the river as well, that was always pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you could shoot them, as, and they would they would turn and t- go they'd go the other direction. You kept shooting them; they would they would drift off somewhere else. Or, or that kind of mercy shot when they're being killed, and they go help, help. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because you could get them to bounce around, couldn't you? So they 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 go ah ah ah, and then they bounce <laughs> off. Yeah, brilliant. You know. Well, I but, also think naming the kind of first team as the uh, developers, uh, you know, mm. Jops and Jules and you is just hilarious. <laughs> like because those names are stuck in our heads permanently. <laughs> They're always the first graves that you get yeah. on the uh, oh, game. No, no, <laughs> we should have put ourselves about. 10 in or something yeah, like that. That's it. The, the, the successful team. the rubbish team. people in the front. Yeah, put all the rubbish people <laughs> at the front. Let them get blown up and killed and we can come in later once somebody's got used to playing the game. 
But yeah, didn't really think about that, did we? <laughs> <laughs> and, and about drawing your own graves was a bit surreal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, hang on a minute, this is this isn't really what I signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, you know, when, when that game did come out, I mean, it got massive, favourable reviews, like Amiga format gold, you know, CU Amiga st- screens, to all yeah. of that awards. Yeah. And then obviously the mainstream kind of got on it. I remember those, you know, like the the outrage in the sun and that kind of thing. I mean, how, how did that affect you guys then? And what was kind of the, did you like the controversy, or was it a bit annoying? <sighs> Well, I mean, I think, I mean, the, the publicity obviously was didn't do us any real harm because it, it brought the game to the attention of the public. Obviously, we got a lot of flack because a lot of people got a wrong idea of what the game was about. I mean, the gist of it was we just, I mean, I suppose it was my fault, I suppose, because I just used the poppy image that, that, that we, we wanted in the game. And I just grabbed the, the one off of, you know, that you get from the high street. Um, and I drew it, you know, I had it on tape on my screen, I drew it and that was it. Um, and then actually, you know, we, we had the Royal British Legion on our case. Um, I think, I, mean, I think John, I'm going to say, I, think I paid 500 quid or something, I don't know what it was. Um, something like that to, to, to shut them up. Um, and then I think we had to change the poppy image. I don't think they liked the fact we were using their poppy image. Mm. I think that was the gist of it. And, and, and then later when the press got hold of it, they said we were glorifying war and it was insulting to all the soldiers that had died, which really wasn't true at all. You know, it really, really wasn't true. And um, so once we changed the poppy to the uh, a more, you know, the natural-looking poppy, um, it, it kind of all, all sort of settled down. But, I mean, for me, I mean, I've said this before, but the I mean, we've been working on the game for quite some time, and we were just so tired, you know, because we were putting all-nighters all the time, you know, and just like and getting bugs coming in from Verge and saying, oh, yeah, we've got this crash, and we've got that, and can you change this, can you change that? And when you've been doing that for weeks in, weeks out, you think, well, okay, all the graphics are done, we're just in tests, we're just tweaking levels, adjusting the level maps, you know, just doing the final little points you do when you make a game. And then they want some graphical changes being done. You think, oh, God, you know. And I remember going out and getting this this poppy from somewhere in Saffron Ward, and I just went out and, you know, just saw some of my just grabbed a few. And I just thought, I just can't be asked. <laughs> I just can't be asked to draw. You know, because I was really proud of my first poppy. Yeah. You know, I was really proud of it because I thought, oh, this is really nice. I'd have it nice. I had a little bit of stippling to give it a bit of texture. You know, the reds I picked really nice. It just looked right. I was really pleased with it. And then I thought, oh, God, I've got to draw another one now. And, um, you know, I had to draw it all again. You know, and it, it sounds like I'm being a whinging old git. But, but it's, it's just the fatigue of working on a game for so long, you know, and you want to get it finished. You want to get it out of the way and say, right, we've done it, it's done, you know. Um, and and it, it just it just was a pain in the ass, to be honest. <laughs> well, one thing <laughs> we, we, we triumphed, we triumphed. <laughs> well, one thing you don't really hear all that often about uh, Cannon Fodder anymore, but, you know, I, I think maybe some fans still remember, is uh, mm. your FMV introduction on the uh, the CD32 <laughs> and the 3DO. And that, that was your maybe your proudest acting moment. <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as acting. <laughs> you can see me laughing in it, which wasn't which was very good because there's a bit where I'm shot on the ground, and I think we've been. I think who was who was shooting me? Was it John? I think it was. Yeah. It, he had the flat cap on. I think it might have been. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think I saw it the other. I saw it a few weeks ago, but I. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it so many times I've, I've forgotten it it's um yeah but I mean there's a bit in there where I was, where I was on the ground and I'm being shot and I'm just I just couldn't stop laughing I'm, and it's evident <laughs> when you look at it back I'm, I'm sort of trying to mask a grin 
Um, I mean, Joel was lying there trying to be like Mr. Cool. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm acting here. I'm, I'm, I'm getting shot. And there's me just laughing my head off. Um, but that was great fun. I mean, that was brilliant. And at the time, I wish, I really, really wish at the time I, I, I kind of embraced it a bit more, what we was actually doing, because I was, you know, quite young and I, I didn't realise how it would be viewed in, you know, decades to come, you know, and I, I wish I took it a little bit more, <laughs> more seriously, my acting. Um, but it was good. It was a good day out. It was brilliant. Yeah, we had a great, a great fun filming it. And um, I don't think many other developers did anything like that, did they? I don't think they... No, was well, there wasn't unique. many. You're right. And, and I, th- I actually know people that went out and paid like 400 quid for the FMV card just to watch that. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. It's like the one wow. game on the CD32 that had FMV. It's like, oh, I've got the, yeah, the only title. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I don't, it's because there was a version, there's a cut of the, of the video where uh, Chris Yates is, is got, um, he's dipping a burger in the chest and, and it's, it's like tomato ketchup. And I think they cut it off the CD32 version. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, there is a version that was that was not edited out where he's doing that. Um, so uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite funny. But we did it, we did videos for the other game. We did videos for like um, Sensible Soccer, and we did a video for no, Sensible. We did one of the Sensible Soccer's. We did a video for, and we did a video for Sensible Golf. Oh, those have been well, good. Have they ever come out? Or? Probably on YouTube. Uh, Jops has got them because Jops has actually got them now because we, we found them all and uh, they've been digitally encoded now. So Jops has got them. And oh. so I don't know whether he's going to release them at some point. But... That that would be very funny to see. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. The golf one's really funny. The golf one's really funny. So Cannon Fodder 2 was kind of mm. a, a change in art style and it mm. got more into the UFO kind of feel and yeah. the alien stuff. Um, yeah. How did you feel about going into the UFO territory? I actually, I, I, John John Lilly did did the graphics on Cannon Fodder too, um, and I, I I liked John a lot, and but with, with totally different art styles, you know, he, he's he's got a different art style to me, and I always thought it was a bit strange that they took they, they asked him to do it. I mean, I was working on Sensible Golf, so I suppose with with time constraints, it probably would have been a bit impractical for me to do both games. But I don't I don't know. I always felt it was a bit bit too far. I think it should have been a bit more. More of the same, but with with newer locations and 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 different, slightly you know updated graphics. Um, I didn't really like the UFO thing so much. I mean, I like I like the UFO thing as in it sounds a bit weird, but where it's grounded in in like because at the end of the Canafod you had the enemy base which is underground, and there were I did have cryogenic chambers in there, but I I liked to have kind of sort of started where the old one left off, if that makes sense. It didn't get it didn't get a good reception either, really, compared to the original. No, game. no, I, I have to say I'm not a great fan of it. I, I mean, it's, it's it's not a bad game. Mm. Uh, I think John did a great job on the graphics, um, but I don't think it fits in with the original. I, mean, I think it's slightly too far, sort of sideways to than than it should have been forward. You know, it should have been another step forward. And it was almost like a a step forward, but with a little bit of a, a verse to the right or a verse to the left. You know, um, which is a shame because. I think it could have been a much better game if if it if it stuck to to enhancing what was in the in the original. Well, Sensible decided to take a, a, a route of kind of simulation games, but there were some strange titles in there. I remember a Sensible Train Spotting was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sensible Golf uh, was a big title as well, and I hear mm-hmm. it was quite demanding um, with Virgin. Yeah, uh, I mean, Sensible Train Spotting was was one of those. I think. I don't. I don't who wrote that. I know John done. John had done the graphics on it, but I don't know. I don't know if Chris Yates done that. Um, but yeah, essentially golf. I mean, they. I think what was happening is we was getting 
we was getting a lot of stick because it was taking longer than than it we should have done. I, I don't recall the full sort of chats that were being made because it's a long time ago. Uh, but all I know is the game wasn't finished. Um, we had, I mean, I had certainly had a lot of stuff I wanted to put in it, and it just never made it. You know, it just never made it into the game. Uh, I think it was pretty much down to getting this game out the door as quickly as possible which meant that we couldn't spend as long on it. And uh, I think that's evident in when, you look, when you look at it. You know, it's not quite there. You know, it's got the makings of, of a game, of a good sensey game, but it's not quite made it. It's, uh, there's a lot of little things that, that didn't, didn't happen. I mean, some of the graphics I'm not happy with. I mean, the big, the big sort of, uh, when you're putting, I don't, like the, I don't like the spots I did on that. I think I needed to update them a little bit. They weren't quite right. Um, a lot of the, the, the game graphics I was not really 100% with. I'd like to have gone back and tweaked them a bit. And there's a lot of little animations that never went in. You know, I mean, the, the most obvious one, which I think, I don't know if you've read about it, was the flasher. But I, but I'd, um, I, I wanted this little guy to jump out of the bushes every now and again and just do a little woohoo, you know. <laughs> but he never, you know, he never went in. Um, I wanted some wildlife to be in it as well. So you'd be sort of, as you're putting, you'd be like a rabbit jumping around or, or, you know, some birds flying about and, and other bits and pieces. But, yeah, I mean, it just wasn't finished. Uh, it's a shame, really, because I really like, I really like the game. Yeah, and all those really kind of it. elements always make a sensible title, don't they? Mm, Feel alive, they you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, we mentioned um, Sensible Train Spotting. That was the last Amiga game um, that came out of Sensible. I mean, what was the thinking behind that thing? Because it was quite a departure from your previous titles. <laughs> I, do you know what? I didn't know that was the last one, the last ones. I didn't realise. According, wow. according to 1995, it was according to Wiki. It was, which probably, probably makes right. sense. Yeah, blimey. Um, I think it. Do you know? I think it was because John John was responsible. John and Chris were responsible for that, and I think it was really a piss take of all the the games that were coming out, which were like you know uh, simulations, like you know this and this. But yeah, I can't remember what was around at the time. But you know when there's a lot of these these. Probably Microsoft um, Flight Simulator. Well, right? I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, John will probably have to clear up more than me because I don't actually remember what was why they did it. <laughs> um, I remember thinking, that's a bit odd. And I remember laughing when I was playing it, thinking, is this it? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was just a joke that, you know, somebody would sit there for hours just clicking the numbers. And it's like, that's what train spotters do, that is. That's what they do. They sit at a platform and they just click numbers in the pad and they go, there, yeah, I've got that one, I've got that one, I've got that one. So I think that, that was pretty much what it was all about. Uh, <laughs> but it, it never got a proper... It was just on the magazine cover disc, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. They were great, those cover discs, weren't they? Because, oh, I mean, we, we, I mean they, they were a bit of a pain to do, but in hindsight, I think it was worth the effort because uh, it's something extra to look back on. I think, yeah, we did that. I mean, the one we did with... Um, was it Sensi Soccer and California together? We had the uh, and we had the Moon Soccer, yeah, you know, that was great. and that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's just crazy, it's bonkers, absolutely bonkers. I remember you know? Canon Soccer. I spent like I think it was, the other year that came out was on like a, a Christmas cover disc, and I spent all Christmas mm. Day playing that. It was brilliant. <laughs> Excellent, love it. Well, as you know, they kind of tried to get into 3D at Sensible. Did you see much of the huge game Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll that was going to come out? I did. Um, see, when when we was in our office in Saffron Walden, um, there was a whole... Initially, we moved to the offices from the... Our, we had old offices in March in Cambridgeshire, and then we relocated to Saffron Walden. The offices had... We had, like, the ground floor, the first floor, and the up, the second floor was where John and Chris was... Which we used to call Suitland, which is all the business happened. All the, you know, all the dotting of eyes, crossing the T's, and all that sort of stuff. And 
And then on the first floor, there was another office that joined it, which wasn't ours. So when Sex, Drugs and Rock and Roll really started to take take sort of development time and, and started to get more resources ploughed into it, they, they, they actually rented the, the adjoining office space, which went over the car park. And they filled it with artists. So um, there was an awful lot, an awful lot of art done for that game. And I've seen, I've seen quite, a, quite a huge chunk of it. I mean, I've seen Jobs show me quite a lot of it. And, you know, and, and it's just incredible the amount of work that went into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I think the only, the only thing now is when you look at it, it has dated. It has dated itself because the art look is very early '90s, you know, and uh, which is a shame. Because I think if it's if the art style was slightly different, it might have it might have sort of weathered a bit better. Yeah, it's kind of got that um, theme hospital FMV kind yeah, of style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, what point did you kind of s- see the end at Sensible or know that? Uh, you know, it, it kind of wasn't working for you, or you just saw it finish. Um, I'd done. I I was doing Sensi Sensi Golf, and then I did. I did someone did some work on Swass, and then I started work on a game called Have a Nice Day, uh, which or others otherwise known as Office Chair Massacre, and that's for a new Sony PSX, which later became the PS One, um, and that was a three D kind of uh, first person shooter, which you which you played in sitting in an office chair. And it just it just didn't feel right. The whole environment didn't feel right anymore when I started that project. There was too many people at Sensible. I mean, I said the art team that they had for Sex and Drugs was was just growing exponentially all the time. Um, and you know, you could go down to, to make a coffee in the, in the in the kitchen, and I would see people I've never met before. Mm. And you think, well, this isn't really Sensible anymore because Sensible was just like a group of guys who just all get along, and we're just having a blast making games. We're just loving it, you know, loving just the, the fact the creative process, the late-nighters, we're just doing the whole thing. And all of a sudden, you're in an environment where it's just become, I don't know, like a production sort of system where they're just artists are coming and going and don't know who he is, I don't know who that is. You know, you say hello to them, but I don't know who that is, you know. <laughs> and it just kind of lost that kind of personal feeling that you've got in a small team. And um, I think John has actually said that you know the best team at Sensible was when we was when it was just the the, the, the you know Sensible Soccer and the Canafora and Megalomania days because it was a small team of people and it was manageable you know that, you know they could manage the the, the the output of the games and and we all just gelled you know we all got on and we all just wanted to do the same thing we all had the same goal and when you take that away and you've got people coming in who are there to create you know so many animations for that scene and so many animations for that scene and, and you know, rendering these backgrounds out. That kind of personal kind of feeling is, 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 is then removed a little bit. And for me, I thought the magic had gone. You know, I just didn't feel it in there anymore. So, you know, I looked at doing something else. You know, which is, I mean, in some respects, I, you know, I, I, I think should I stayed a little bit longer? Um, should I try to get, you know, renew a contract on another project with them if they were, you know, or... But, I mean, I'm, I suppose I'm glad I did, really, because I got out before it got 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 a bit serious. Well, after Sensible, obviously, you did go into like the world of 3D with Joe Blow. That's right, um, yes. What was that time like for you? Uh, I did. Uh, so I, I used to work with a friend of mine at Sensible, and we we had this, I had this idea for a game, which was... I don't actually remember there was a game on the, on the Nintendo 8-bit called Kickle Cubicle, 
And it was this really cute little game where you had this this little, I don't know what the character was, it was a strange little cute character. And you could push, um, you could freeze things and push them around on this on the single screen. And I thought, that's a really good idea. And then I thought about, well, this guy with a spray can. I thought he's like a, a DJ, but he, he, he could spray and it was cool spray and he could freeze baddies and push them around and do things. So we came up with this like, little 2D demo on the PC. Uh, I did the cranks on the Amiga 1200 and we did this little lock text load down. I said, that, that might make it into a game. And then we just started talking and with all the stuff that was going on at Sensible, I said, why don't we try and get a, you know, try and get a deal with this? You know, just a publishing deal, see so if we can get somebody to give us some money and, and just finish the game. And it also gives us a way, you know, it gives me a way out of Sensible, so I've got something lined up. And um, we went around a few publishers and, and Telstar were quite interested in it. And they said, well, look, we, we like the idea, but can you, can you do it as 3D? And um, we thought, well, okay, um, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, okay. And, um, I mean, neither one of us really sort of thought, well, can we do this? Well, we can get, you know, three new few, few 3D people and that. So, okay, we can do that. And we, that's how we, we got into it. And they basically Telstar, you know, we signed a deal with Telstar. Um, they, you know, gave us an advance. We used that advance to, to get offices in Braintree. Uh, we got a team together. There's a couple of people I knew from Sensible who, who were just, like, contracting. So they said they were interested. And we started the whole ball rolling and got, got the whole, you know, the whole process up and running. We only lasted three years, and then it all went, went down the pan. So it wasn't exactly a long-term prospect, but um, the game was the game was really really taking shape in the in the final sort of twelve months before Telstar pulled the plug. Um, I mean, Telstar, I think they 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 overstretched themselves. And they had, I think they'd had too many projects, and they just run out of money from what I can hear, uh, what I heard at the time. And we just suffered as a as a as a result of that. You know, and we, we were just we were you know not far off of getting the game sort of at the state where it was could be played and finished so, which is a shame really because it was an awful lot of work went into that well i noticed you did a lot of um game boy advance titles later on mm, and i did do a few yes yeah that must have been a, a kind of heart back to the old 2d kind of stuff because mm. you know you were put in that small screen format again and was that enjoyable to do it was i mean i i i I mean, abstract. We closed abstract down, um, and I had to do something. And I, 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 you know, emotionally, I was quite drained. I was quite in a wasn't in a very good place. And I thought, well, you know, I'm known for doing pixel graphics. I'm known for doing like that kind of style of artwork. Um, a lot of people were still doing doing 3D. I did a little bit of 3D, but it wasn't really sort of my. I just didn't just didn't excite me. And um, I just, you know, managed to get some work doing doing some uh, some sort of Game Boy games, and I loved it. I absolutely loved the Game Boy Advance. You know, it was a great machine. Uh, you had lovely, you had lovely select, you know, palettes. You had great number of sprites on there. You could do lots and lots of tricks with the with the tiles, you know, the flipping and all that sort of stuff. Which for a pixel artist like 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 me is just like joy. You know, being able to do all the colours and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I loved it. Really, really loved it. Well, because I checked out some of your works on there, and they just mm. look great. They they actually That's look true. like connected to the Amiga old style. You know, there's yeah. there's a similarity <laughs> about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, one of my things I, I I get a bit sort of anal about things like anti-aliasing, which you know, um, which back then, I mean, I don't remember the old, you know, the old, a lot of the Amiga PD stuff. A lot of the graphics are really amateurish, and it, you know, it was very badly drawn. 
And I think, oh, those graphics are not anti-aliased. How can they call them pixel graphics? They're not anti-aliased. It's that <laughs> one. And I'll be really particular about, you know, I've got to anti-alias all my graphics and make them smooth. Because for me, you know, you're drawing your graphics to make them look smooth on screen and look really, really good quality. Um, so that kind of evolved into sort of a natural process that I that I do, and I, well, I did, and I do now. If I do pixel graphics, that, that when I do it, I always get anti-aliasing in there and smooth it all off. And I suppose I really I carried that on to when I did the Game Boy stuff. You know, you, you just naturally do it because it's just part of your your drawing and your art style. Do, do you um, prefer working in like do you like pixel art two D or, or three D? Then what, what do you prefer? Uh, I actually prefer traditional art to be honest. <laughs> um, I actually prefer doing illustrations and, and doing uh, like pencil, uh, watercolor. Um, and uh, I don't do a lot of acrylics. I need to get into more acrylic work. But, um, yeah, I, mean, I prefer doing that if I'm brutally honest. But second to that, um, pixel graphics are, are fine. You know, I, I mean, I, to be honest, I, can do, I, you know, I, do, I do vector art. I do sort of normal digital art with stylus and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I don't – 3D never really sort of got me. I did start getting into it, and I did a few sort of – you know, when 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 3D was becoming the, the next big thing, I did get into doing low poly models and all that sort of stuff. But I never felt that buzz. I never felt the buzz that, that I used to get doing pixel graphics. You know, the joy of sitting there and animating a sprite, and you you know you got a, like somebody a character who's walking along, and you, you get into animate, and he looks looks right, and then you get into you know do the jumps and all the little bits and pieces you do in the video game. I never got that buzz doing that in, with 3D characters. Um, so for me, I kind of thought, well, now this isn't really for me. I'm not, not enjoying it. And if I don't enjoy it, I'm probably not going to produce the work that shows that I'm enjoying it, you know? If, if you know what I mean, it's not really... You know, I think if you've got pride in what you're doing, you tend to, to push yourself more than if you're doing something that you don't really enjoy. It's not going to be quite as good, is it? So, you know, that's why I don't tend to do a lot of 3D stuff. And, and I think, if anything, you know, when you look back, in my mind, the... The kind of early 3D stuff has aged a lot, a lot worse than the like the the later Amiga stuff. You know, the yeah. 2D stuff. They're, they're really if you get like an early PlayStation One game, they just mm. look yeah compared to like the Amiga graphics. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we we did. Uh, I mean, when, when we was doing Joe Blow, I mean, we was doing it on PlayStation One and PC, and we had a terrible time trying to get the graphics to look good. I mean, we had lots and lots and lots of of, of cool lighting going on. The textures are great. What the guys are doing, I did some of the textures for it. Um, but when you compare it to what you can do now, and then you look back at those titles, you think, God, they look bloody awful. I mean, I find that the 32-bit sort of era games, like the Saturn, the PlayStation 1, I think most of them games look rubbish. Yeah. I think they look... Because the 3D is not quite mature enough to, to pull it off. You know, it's it's impressive at the time, because like, wow, 3D, this is amazing. All these things spinning around, and you're walking in and out, and... But it wasn't quite good enough to, to pull that look off where you, you could say, compared to what you could see in an arcade at the time, where everything was, was precise and, and, and crisp. Um, and and I, I, I mean, when I look at videos, I mean, I watch videos on YouTube now again of people doing reviews of some of these old games, and you think some of the stuff just looks really, really ropey. Um, whereas when you look to a generation after, like the PS2, you know, even the Dreamcast, you know, Xbox, the first Xbox, they all look okay. They're, they're not. They're not obviously as good as now, but they they are acceptable. You know, they're much slightly. You know, much better quality than the, the first generation of 3D machines. Yeah. I think it's all down to that that horrible pixelized look that a lot of the textures had. It, it never really worked for me, and I think that maybe that was what put me off it. I don't know. 
Well, one game you must have enjoyed working on uh, was Alien Hominid on the uh, G- <laughs> GBA because oh, yeah. that's totally cartoony. So yeah, there was no yeah. 3D stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, I, I did enjoy that. I mean, I got I got the work of doing all the, uh, not all the sprites, but I, I got the job of taking the the animated sprites that they they provided the animations for it and I took those and then turned them into uh, animations for the actual game. And uh, yeah, that was great. But I did... Um, I did a few games like that. It was brilliant, you know. But I see the Game Boy Advance was just a lovely little machine, you know. I really, really, because I, I was a great fan of the SNES. And uh, we, when we did, we was doing Molotov Man at um, Sensible, and I was so excited about working on the SNES, you know. And, and the Game Boy Advance kind of reminded me of the SNES, you know. It was a different machine, but it, had, it just reminded me of that, you know. And I, I just loved it because it had lots of palettes and you know lots of play fields and lots of sprites, and uh, it was just lovely, really good. Well, Stuart, it's been amazing getting your memories and finding out, you know, the, the inside story of some of our favourite games of all time. Um, great, great little trip down memory lane there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> great, to, great to talk to you guys. I really, really enjoyed it. And what are you up to these days then? What are you currently working on? Uh, I do various bits and pieces. I mean, most of my, my work is boring at the moment because I'm doing, doing sort of uh, contract work for various people who do want to do sort of technical illustrations and stuff like that. Um, but I am, I am sort of, well, I say I am. I'm, I'm trying to get uh, a couple of books finished um, and illustrated, which I've been working on. And uh, I think that's probably where my direction's going, actually. I'm kind of heading into that direction. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't tend to do a lot of video game work. Um, I have been doing a game on and off with a friend of mine. Uh, we, we did a game called Blob It Push quite a few years ago, which was a web game and a phone game. And we were kind of bringing that back now, which uh, mainly because we wanted to do another one. We never really got off our backside to do it. And both of us said, look, you know, we should really just get this finished and <laughs> get it out. So we're doing Blob It Push 2 at the moment, which um, which will be out when it's finished, which will be sometime, I suppose. <laughs> so, uh, and that will be on pretty much all the, all the main formats that you can you can play games on. Um, but yeah, so which is pixel art as well, because I'm doing pixel art again uh, in, my, in, my, in my spare time, which is quite nice. Excellent. Well, I think a, another game people may demand would be Simbrick HD. Oh, now there you go. There you go. That's, <laughs> be, that's a challenge, that. <laughs> Wicked uh, chatting to you, Stuart. No worries, no worries. I've really enjoyed talking to you guys. Really good.